This is games in schools and libraries. The podcast about board, card and digital games and the ways in which they can find a place in schools or at the local library. Hosting provided by the Games for Educators website www.g4ed.com Welcome to Games in Schools and Libraries. My name is Giles Pritchard. I'm a teacher at St George's Road Primary School in Shepparton, Australia. I use games in my 3-4 classroom as well as at our games club and our games days and for many other purposes. You can also find me on my blog, castlebymoonlight.blogspot.com or on Twitter as P. And I'm Donald Dennis uh, from the Georgetown County Library System, where I do teen games and technology programming. You can find me on the internet as Onboard Games at Twitter, and generally as Walsfeo, that's W-A-L-S-F-E-O. And also, of course, I have the Onboard Games podcast, and you can now find me at the On RPGs podcast. So, hooray! You're all over the interwebs, Don, on the podcast. That's great. Yes, you just can't get rid of me. <laughs> all right. Um, our listeners don't know that you were going to do this all by yourself, and I weaseled my way onto this show because I think people need to listen to what I have to say. <laughs> no, there's no way I could have shouldered this burden, Don, without your um, your assistance, your gentle advice, and your support. There's uh, And dulcet tones. I set the standard. I think anybody listening to the show knows I don't have gentle anything, let alone advice, but <laughs> I appreciate that. All right, enough of the, the self-aggrandizement. Uh, <laughs> well, I made a big mistake last episode. I dragged it from what we were going to talk about, which was games that encourage communication and talking amongst the players and player interaction uh, straight into story game territory. So I'm here to make this up to our listeners and Let's talk about social games, games with interactions and that help build personal skills, which I think is a very important thing, and I'm ready to stick to topic this time, Giles, I promise. <laughs> I think um, this is one of, the, one of the things that probably sets board games apart from many other different genres of games. So obviously, last episode, we talked a lot about storytelling games and role-playing games and so forth, and that really is a, is a forte of those games, but... There's the social aspect of board games, which really is only starting to translate into the video game genre now with, you know, your Wii and your Kinect and your Buzz games and all those sorts of stuff. But it really, I think, is a real forte of the board gaming, you know, aspect of, of the gaming hobby because of the fact that you, while you might have the physical game at the table, you, you've also therefore got the player's sitting around the table, looking at each other, interacting with each other. Um, and there are some games that really engage the players around the table much more than other games. So your mathematical games, your analytical games, games like chess, for example, and, and others that involve a lot of thought, but not necessarily a lot of um, that social interaction. You know, it may not encourage it so much, but then there are a lot of games out there, and hopefully we'll talk about some of these in the episode, that do really encourage that social interaction, that engagement, that um, personal connection, I guess, between players and, and other players around the table. Right. Uh, board games are 
dare I say it, they can be a very intimate activity. And by that, I mean you're sharing a small space with a group of people and you're engaged in a common activity. Sort of like sharing a meal with someone, you know, or just holding a conversation with them. And when you're having these interactions, which are unique to this kind of activity, then there's a lot of back and forth communication that you're not going to get if you're like, say, playing tennis against somebody and you're clean across the court, or if you're playing video games and you can't even see your opponent or the other people that you're playing with. So there, like you said, there are some games that enhance that social activity. And is there, where do you want to start? There's so many things to choose from. I think, you know, I, I, I guess I want to start with uh, a personal story. Okay. And this is not a personal story to me, but um, many years ago, probably about five or six years ago, which probably isn't that many either, um, but about five or six years ago, I was, I was approached by um, a school down in a, a, a regional city here in Victoria, Australia, called St. Laborious Primary School. They're based in Bendigo, um, for those of you who are from Australia, Victoria. And this school was looking for um, a, a program that would help them replace their homework program. They weren't happy with the homework program as it stood at the school. They also had identified that a lot of the kids at the school came from um, dual-income, working-class, middle-class families, and so kids were getting home often um, to an empty house or they were getting home um, when the parents were getting home and there was not a lot of that social interaction at home. So the school really wanted to bring in some sort of program that would encourage interaction um, at home. And the way they did that was by building a board game library at the school uh, and made it homework for the kids to be borrowing games that would then be taken home um, and played with the families at home as as a way of replacing both their homework program but also as a way of encouraging that interaction between, you know, um, mum, dad and the kids or, or who, whatever the family unit might look like. So it was really, um, for me, it was a really fascinating concept. Um, the principal um, there, um, his name has slipped my mind at the moment, but I'll, I'll remember it just as we finish talking about this, um, but the principal there had, had been very successful in getting different um, local grants. Um, so he got about, I think it was about $10,000 altogether to build this this games library. And that included the infrastructure, so the shelving in their actual um, library space for the games, as well as a barcoding system, bags for all of the kids. So they all got these um, bags that the board games they borrowed would go in, and then they'd go into their bags. They also, um, you know, did things like printed up sheets with all the list of game pieces on them and set up a program of games monitors and and so forth to make sure that it it functioned as smoothly as possible with as least um, sort of damage to all of the games and so forth as possible. I had a role in helping the school pick um, games that were that were um, really all about the interaction. And the, the, what, what the principal had said to me at the time was that they wanted games that, where the family would sit down together and they'd be looking at each other, be talking to each other. Um, so at the time, there weren't, to the, to the best of my knowledge, there weren't as many really um, good social interaction games as perhaps there are today. I think um, companies like Northstar Games and others have really come along and added to this market. But we picked a lot of, um, a lot of games 
um, that were based around trading um, resources between players. So, for example, your Settlers of Catan, um, where players, um, there's a part of the game where players are trading resources between one another. For those people who aren't familiar, Settlers of Catan, you're building your small civilization on an island, you collect your resources, your wool and ore and bricks and um, wood and so forth, and then use those resources to build more roads, build more settlements, cities, etc., in the hope of winning the game. You can trade resources between players, and so that whole concept of trading games really became, I think, the backbone of that game's library. That, that's kind of amazing that they put together a lending library of games at a school to help supplement or change a homework program. I think that that's, that's amazingly forward. Do you know what the results of that was? I mean, stepping aside from our discussion, did, do you know, did they have good results from this program or have you heard? Um, yeah, look, I've spoken to the principal on numerous occasions and um, yeah, he's they've, they've been very, very happy with the program. We went and did a speech at oh, one of the Australian Games Expos a couple of years ago together about, um, he talked about his games program at school, I talked about games in the classroom um, and yeah, no, he was extremely extremely happy with how it was going, more particularly the excitement that the kids had around taking games home, and he, he had said that he'd got a lot of feedback from parents about how they were um, playing these games at home um, together as a family unit that they hadn't been doing. Uh, you know, that sort of activity they hadn't been doing before. Um, I haven't really spoken to him or caught up with them in the last probably three, four years. But, yeah, uh, from last time I heard that they were going uh, really well. Well, very cool. Um, so trading games, let's talk a little bit about what trading brings to the table for the interaction on the interaction aspect. When you're doing trades, you have to, of course, evaluate on your end what you're going to need. So there's sort of a pre-planning, which you know is not really what we're talking about for social interaction, but it is a very useful skill. When you start off with kids, you'll see them make one trade and they go, oh, I just trade away what I needed. Now I need to make a trade for that. And they really start to learn those kinds of skills. And of course, with these trades, you get to learn to evaluate, well, how desperately does this person need that item? Do I think that I can try and trade and get a better deal out of them than they might have given me last turn when they didn't really, really need this? So you're learning to kind of read the other people and you're engaging just directly with them and, and learning quite a bit if, if you're at that age. Yeah, I think trading is one of those really important, um, you know, it brings out a lot of those sort of, as you said, the, the interaction, the bargaining and the discussion and so forth. And, you know, that, that you know, the slap of the forehead and the, oh, why did I try that? Or, you know, those are that, that sort of discussion interaction is a really important thing. And, I, and the other aspect of trading that's really important is when the kids are looking at what each other are doing in the game. Um, you know, it's very easy sometimes in in um, big mathematical games to to be focused on what you're doing and to try and um, you know nudge all of the gears and and wheels and so forth that of the of the mechanisms in the game so that that you are doing particularly well and you're not necessarily focused on what the other players are doing so much. Whereas trading games really bring that 
focusing on what everybody's doing to the fore, it's a very, very important thing to know, you know, you, obviously you don't want to be trading something to somebody if they're just about to win the game and going to be able to use the resources you give them to do that. Um, if they're in a, in, in a position where they don't have access to a resource, you can, you can use that to your advantage and, and really milk them for, <laughs> for, for, you know, more in that trade. And so being really aware of where the other players are at right. is, a, is a core component of trading. So one of my favorite trading games, uh, of course, I like Settlers of Catan. Mm-hmm. That's a great game. But uh, one of my favorite trading games is Basari, which is a game where everybody is sort of moving around the board. And when you get to your space, you're going to decide, do you want to take the points on the space or do you want uh, to get to roll again and move your piece forward again? Or do you want to take the gems that are on the space? And so if you and I choose the same thing, then we have our collection of gems that we already have. And the only interaction in the game when you're trading is you might say, well, it's not worth a whole lot to me. And without saying anything, you'll just push forward a green gem. And I might think it's a little more valuable to me. So I could push forward two green gems to you Mm -hmm. or a green gem and a blue gem or just a, a gem that's worth more. And so all the trading in this aspect is just pushing gems forward until somebody is not willing to push forward a higher value of gems. And initially, you might think, well, there's not a lot of interaction with this, but it's amazing how much people start to learn, oh, what is this guy doing, or how much is this really worth to him, or you can communicate a lot just by how you push things forward or what you do. And so, as a trading game, I really love that, but it seems like it's light on the communication, but I think there's a lot more there than most people give it credit for. And that's from out-of-the-box games if they're still producing it. Okay. Yeah, well, I haven't played that one, to be honest. But no, it sounds really good. I've always heard uh, good things said of it. It's one of my favourite games. I'll have to have have a look at it. Um, To move away from um, games and trading, I suppose another another area that really is all about the the people playing the games rather than the games themselves is a genre of game called party games. And, And a lot of people will be familiar with the different sorts of games that might come under these this this banner, a lot of them you'll find on the shelves of the big um, big stores, uh, things like Pictionary or um, you know some of those other games are, are I guess poster childs for party games. Are there any party games in particular that you think are, are really great? But you can't really play those at school because you don't you know you're not allowed to have margaritas in the classroom. I don't think <laughs> that is true. Now I don't use Pictionary, but there's a company that I mentioned just before, North Star Games, who produce a fantastic range. Oh, love North Star Games. Yeah, they, they produce a fantastic range of party games. Um, say anything, say anything. Family, Wits and Wages, Wits and Wages Family, and uh, Crappy Birthday are some of the games um, that that they produce. I tend to in our school our school games collection includes a couple of copies of Say Anything Family and Wits and Wages Family. Um, and Wits and Wages, the adult version as well. Um, but the, the the family versions for me are, are really, really particularly good for the age group that I, I teach um, and, and are just fantastic games. I'll just, to give a quick description, 
Um, we'll start with wits and wages as perhaps the easiest of the two to describe. Wits and wages is a dyed-in-the-wool trivia game. Uh, so you think a game like Trivial Pursuit, for example. All of the answers are always going to be numbers. So whatever the question might be, it might be something like how long does it take um, for light from the sun to reach the earth? So the answer is obviously a number. You write Everybody writes their number down and you lay out all of the answers in order from the smallest to the largest. And then players uh, in the in the adult version bet on which answer they think is the right one. In the family version, you just put your token. There's two tokens on which you think are the right right is the right one or the right ones. If you want to split your split your guesses, um, and then you get points for getting the right answer. But you also get points for guessing which answer is the right answer from those available. <laughs> um, and it doesn't have to be exactly right. It just has to be as close to, or the closest to the correct answer without being higher than the correct answer. Um, and so there's... Think price is right rules. Yeah. And so the, the really cool thing about wits and wages is that even if you're not that good at trivia, you can play the crowd. You can play the, sorry, play the players a little bit and you can think... I don't know the answer, but I think they would. So I'm going to I'm going to put my tokens down on their guess because I think their guess is probably going to be right. And and everybody's in the game in that way. It's a really neat game. Right. It and Bezer Wizard are the two trivia games that you can probably talk me into playing. I'm not a big trivia game fan, but I really like Wits and Wagers. And you know, you don't think that as far as the you know the topic social games, it's a party game. So everyone's sitting around the table talking which you don't think is trivia games as being social games but in this there's often the discussion well which one do you think is the right answer or i'm going here or certainly and you're using it in an educational setting there's no reason why you can't have a discussion about it and and encourage them to talk about it now wits and wagers also has the unique ability well a relatively unique ability to be able to be scaled amazingly well you can if you've got a class of 30 people you can have your teams each table of five people be one of the players and you can just have as many people playing this as you really want to it's not a big deal yeah i might just add a couple of things with wits and wages um first and foremost i think for a school the wits and wages family um version is the better version i think in most most person most places well i think you're right for most users yeah. We use the family version of scoring for every version of a of an All-Star game now. Yeah. Not we don't use the betting one anymore. I think it's a good option. The other thing I'd say for those um, those countries outside the US is that there are there can be quite a few questions in in the Wits and Wages game that is a little bit US centric. And so the measurements in it are all in imperial, so you'll get inches and miles and pounds and so forth. Um, and for those of us, those countries of us that use the metric system, obviously this is a little bit uh, can be an issue. Um, but the, the and, and also some of the questions can be a little bit US centric as well. But having said that, there are so many questions in the game that you can easily skip those ones that that are like that and ask other ones instead. Um, and the other thing is that you can quite easily make up your own questions. Um, you know, I've made up um, versions of these questions based on our school. You know, how many kids are there enrolled in the school at the moment? You know, how many, um, if you added up all of the ages of all of the teachers in the school, how old would, you know, how many years would that be? <laughs> you know, That's cool. stuff like that. You know, it's very easy to... to um, 
to adjust and to add your own questions in and so forth. It's a really neat game. But I would just give that disclaimer. I think in the in the um, in Europe, the Days of Wonder produce a version called Gambit Seven, which is which is the same game, but then just rethemed slightly for the European market. But um, strangely, I, I haven't noticed any problems with it being American centric. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just noticeable, I guess, reading it out to a group of kids. You know, there may be names that they're unfamiliar with, um, games that they're unfamiliar with, um, baseball and basketball and so forth, or American football. And it may also be that you know, as I said before, the the main area that that is an issue is is that issue between imperial and metric. Um, and kids, we have enough trouble understanding what a kilogram is, let alone a pound. So, um, you know, that can be an issue. All right. Well, let's move on to um, another kind of party game, or the, one of their other games called Say Anything. Say Anything is kind of the same thing, except for its words. And so it might be, if I could train a monkey to do anything, then everybody else writes down what I would like, what I, the person who's asking the question, would like to train a monkey to do. And then we flip them all, you know, we, we reveal them and we do the same betting thing to see which ones do you think are going to be the winners. And then using the Selectomatic 5000, the winner is chosen and people get points accordingly. And once again, it doesn't sound like it encourages a lot of social interaction, but you are learning a lot about people and you're revealing things about people that, you know, maybe they wouldn't normally have done. So, Giles, if I could train a monkey to do anything, what do you think I would train it to do? Record this podcast with me <laughs> instead of you having to get up so early. That's right. Well, yeah, see, that's, that's good. The other answer is I don't need a monkey. I, I've got a Giles. <laughs> well, you see why I didn't mention that one. <laughs> uh, so, and in fact, I encourage all of our listeners to go to our forums, wherever those might be. I think that they're going to be at the Games and Educators website. Yep. And enlist what I would train a monkey to do if, if I could train a monkey to do anything. And I will pick a winner from all of the suggestions and ridicule them. I mean, you know, and <laughs> applaud them on the website. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, I, 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 Say Anything is a great game. And I think... Um, it's that game where one player is the judge, everybody else decides um, what they think that judge would like, and the role of the judge changes um, every round. So you might be the judge this round, I'll be the judge next round. And in that way, you're right, that the focus becomes that particular player. This this can be difficult for some of the kids. I, I've run into into situations with kids who who say, but this is clearly you know the better answer, and so hang on, excuse me, who's the judge? You're not. This person is the judge. They get to decide which one's the better answer, and and it comes down to that whole social knowledge about the the rules and mores and so forth involved with playing a game, um, but also that recognition that it is the opinions of other children that are, or the other players that are, um, what are important when that player is the, is the judge. Now there's another game that does this same sort of thing um, that's called Apples to Apples and that's published, used to be published by Out of the Box and I believe it's been bought now by Hasbro. Hasbro has I think the international publishing rights. Apples to Apples is still produced uh, domestically I think by um, out, of, out of the Box. Okay. And in apples to apples to apples, um, it's a game that we might talk about again when we have a when we do an episode on literacy. Um, but apples to apples is basically you have a handful of nouns. So each card in your hand will be a noun of some sort, um, usually. 
and then the um, judge will flip over a green card, a green apple, and that green card will be some sort of adjective, a descriptive word of some sort. So it might be smelly, for example. And then from your hand of nouns, you pick the noun that is the smelliest, and you lay that out face down. Uh, everybody does the same, and then the judge will go through and pick out the one that they think is, is the best one. That person will get the green apple. Now, you can do it very mechanically like that, but the way I like to do it with the kids in the classroom is to get them to, to have three piles, the no, maybe, and yes. So if, if, our, if our adjective is smelly, they go through their list. Is big bird smelly? No. Is uh, my sock smelly? Yes. You know, is my teacher smelly? Yes. And so on and so forth. Um, <laughs> it makes for a far funnier and enjoyable sort of social experience. All the kids are laughing together and it's that shared experience um, that I think is really valuable. There, this game has got, you know, it's got its detractors, it's got its um, proponents, but really... I mean, it's not it's not a bad game. It's it's a neat little party game. But yeah, again, you know, it's one of those things where one player is the judge, um, and all of the other players are throwing in their options according to you know the the adjective that's out there, uh, and it can be a lot of fun. Right, and of course, some of the other social party games we're just going to hit on real quick. You know, it would be like uh, charades or Pictionary. Any time where you've got one person sort of doing a task. And the other group is trying to coach them to do something or guess something. And when I say coach coach them, there's a game called Backseat Drawing where one person is drawing a picture. The other person is telling them what to draw by just using very precise directions without giving any descriptors mm. such as straight line up and down, a circle in the lower left-hand corner, blah, blah, blah. And you could be trying to draw a car. And you're not telling the person who's drawing what they're drawing. You're just telling them how to draw it, and then everybody else is trying to guess it. And so then you've got the people who are trying to guess it on one team and the people who are trying to guess it on another team. They're all sort of working together to try and pick what the correct answer is. And this sort of same thing also happens in a game called Word on the Street, which I believe is another out-of-the-box out game. And it's two teams where you've got a line of letters down the center of the board, and you have a category, and your team is trying to pick, say, a tree. And so you come up with the name of a tree, and it might be, oh, Sequoia is a good one because it's going to move them so many letters in my direction until it gets locked into place on my side of the board. And my team is all talking about, well, no, Sequoia is not a good one. We should go with Maple because we, if we do the P, then it's locked. And, they, and they're strategizing on their side. And anytime you have a group of people who have to come up with a strategy or make a decision together – then it's automatically going to be kind of an interactive procedure or an interactive process. And I might add, Don, with that word on the street, we've got word on the street, Junior, um, or a couple of copies of it at school. Great language, literacy, spelling game. Um, one of the things that I really like, it's, it's that tug of war, as you say, you know, every time I use the letter B, uh, the B moves one step over in my direction. Every time you use it, it moves over one step in your direction. And we're trying to, you know, as you say, lock it in on our sides. Um, the one thing I really like about it with, with kids at the age group I'm teaching is that they collaboratively, as you say, as a team, build their list of games. And it ties in with the shared experiences of the different kids, you know. Some kids might you know, know, you know, oak and pine and, and there might be a kid that's, you know, watched, you know, from, from my classroom here in Australia who's watched the Discovery Channel and knows Sequoia, so they throw that out there. And it's that shared shared experience, that shared 
um, or t- tapping into their shared word knowledge um, that is a really useful thing and a, a really social thing in that game. And in that case, that makes knowing something cool because you've helped your team win. So instead of having the kid who's a show-off in the classroom who's always raising their hand every time and irritating all the other kids, <laughs> what instead you have is half the class or whoever's on his team going, yes, you're smart, you helped us out. Woohoo! being brainy is cool. <laughs> That's right. Instead of making us all look bad, you're making our team look good, which I think is a very valuable thing to do. Anytime you can make being smart good for um, a group of people instead of good for the one person and bad for everyone else and build up that resentment, which is a different topic, and I'm sorry for leaping topics again, Giles. you got to probably put me <laughs> in a cage to keep this from happening. But... Um, you know, do that whenever you can. No, I agree, and it's all, it is. It's all about building that, um, building confidence, and and um, you know that belief in self, and all of those things that are so important. They might not be written into a curriculum document anywhere, but they are such a huge part of um, you know what a teacher and what a school does, and you know what we all do, I suppose, to build build people up. But um, you know, fantastic, fantastic thing for that. As long as we're talking about team games, let's go ahead and leap over to co-op games, which are a fairly recent, uh, they've recently become popular, where there's a group of people who are kind of working against the game instead of against each other. And one of the neat things about this kind of game is, as we were just talking about, someone being smart is going to help the whole team instead of kind of putting them at odds with the other players, which helps it helps a lot in the decision-making process and, and make people being proud of the kind of stuff that they can do. So the most well-known of these cooperative games is Pandemic, mm. but the probably more appropriate for children would be Forbidden Island, which is basically the junior version of Pandemic. You probably don't need both unless you've got two completely different age groups or skill levels of players who are playing. Um, so, Giles, uh, why don't you describe one and I'll describe the other. Which one do you want to talk about? All right, so I'll talk about Pandemic. Um, In Pandemic, players are cooperating together to cure the different diseases that are ailing the world. There are a couple of, or four different diseases that are coming out on the board. Players need to treat the diseases that are coming out on the board, but they also need to work together to find cures. And it's an interesting game where players are working together to sort of combat, as I said before, the spread of the diseases actually on the board, but also working together to sort of find a way to cure cure all of those diseases. Uh, And because of the different pressures of the the game system, um, players sort of never really have enough time to do everything that they want to do. And it's about how the team, how the group together um, combat all of the different things that are facing them at the time. So it it is a game where players have got to work together as a team. They've got to be able to um, collaborate and use their different skills because each of the players will have a special power um, that that helps, helps them in one way or another. And so they've got to be able to sort of use all of those aspects um, to best effect in the game. And there are a lot of different things to try and manage uh, as they fight against the game system in order to win. A really good cooperative game. A lot of fun. Right. And uh, Forbidden Island is exactly the same sort of game where you're all working together. In this case, instead of curing four different diseases, you're trying to find four different treasures before the island completely sinks. And once again, everybody has their own special ability, so everyone's unique within the game. But you do have to discuss, well, gosh, if you come over here, then I can give you these items on my turn, and then you can go and grab this treasure, and then we can get to the helipad and get off. Uh, Now, something that both of these games suffer from 
And it's just something you have to be aware of as they suffer from groupthink mentality where on my turn, I might not actually get to make any decisions. Mm. Uh, and with the groups, and if you're moderating these kind of game sessions, you just have to be aware and say, hey, this is his, ultimately it is his choice to decide what to do. It's great if people give him feedback or say, hey, here's a couple of options, but you know, don't point your finger at the board and say, Giles, you have to move here. Because that's not letting that player participate in the game. Mm. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, cooperative games can very easily be a, a really great um, collaborative experience. And I think some of the issues that, that you deal with, like, for example, that group think, a dominant personality, um, and even the when we all go down, there's one player pointing the finger at the others saying, you didn't do the right thing. Any of those sort of issues are the same sorts of issues a team would face when when doing anything, whether it's you know a team working together in the workplace to you know achieve a particular goal or to get something done. Um, these are these are real these are real team issues, and so that can be a point of learning for um, you know the kids that are playing the game. Um, but yeah, it is, it, and it's a social. It's that social thing again. You know, these are social skills. How to operate in a team um, that are that are being utilised throughout the game. I think they're a great game experience. I think they can be really um, fantastic for kids who have trouble with winning and losing. Um, you know, they can they can be um, just a great sort of game experience. Full stop. But. They can also be, you know, problematic because of those issues. Absolutely. So moving on from the cooperative games, which, yeah, like Giles said, wonderfully mimics any other type of group activity. Uh, let's move on to something where uh, you're you're having to work against and with the other players. And these are particularly, I'm talking about voting games, where some of the core mechanisms are, uh, hey. I need to uh, get this done, so I have to call on the rest of the board to get them to agree to let me do it. And once again, this is going to get me closer to my victory points, which is not necessarily something that everybody else in the game wants, but they realize that without the support of other people in the game, they're not going to get any closer to their victory points either, or to, to claiming victory either. So uh, as far as interaction games, I think that this is where you get some of the most real interaction between players, it's not social interaction, but I mean when you're getting real productive interaction in such a way that isn't, hey, you've got, for example, you said the dominant personality issue. That can happen here, but since I know it's not necessarily in my best interest to let you dominate what I'm thinking, then, then I'm going to have to negotiate to get what I need done instead of sitting idly by and just doing whatever you say. Because, Giles, I'm tired of doing whatever you say, man. <laughs> just shh. <laughs> so what are, do you have some examples of, uh, of voting games that you like? Yeah, look, I think there are some fantastic games that fall under the banner of voting games, and there are some fantastic games that are, you know, I, I'm thinking of one in particular. It's a great big sprawling sort of um, civilization war game called um, Warrior Knights, um, which is a huge game. doesn't really fit the topic that we're talking about, but it's got a voting aspect in it where the players get together in an assembly every now and then and vote on laws that will change the rules of the game occasionally and so forth. But, yeah, there's that whole voting mechanism is a, is a really neat set of mechanisms in a game. One of the ones I think that, that can be a lot of fun, uh, can be heartbreaking, but a lot of fun, is a game called Lifeboats. Oh, yes. Um, all the players, there are... 
there are multiple boats, there are limited spaces in the boats, the boats are sinking. Um, the boats are wooden, so they've got these holes in them where you put your little pawns, uh, representing your sailors. Um, but they also might get filled up with pieces representing water as the boats start to sink. And so you're voting on, um, you know, which boats are going to um, spring a leak and so forth. You're moving your sailors around between the boats and so on. It, it, and you're trying to be the one to reach shore. Um, but so is everybody else, and that interplay between the players as they try and you know get their sailors into the boats that are going to make it to shore and vote for the other boats to spring leaks and so on makes for a game that is it is duly heartbreaking and also a lot of fun. Right, so whoever has the most guys that make it from the beginning to the end is going to win, or at least there's points depending on which island you get to based on how luxurious that island would be, and... Oh my goodness, it is it seems like a very light and friendly game. When you set it up, people are like, Oh, this looks like fun, this looks like fun. And at the end, they're like, Oh mom, I can't believe you just killed my last guy. Ah! <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a, you want to keep a uh, a whole bunch of band-aids by the table <laughs> for all of the knives in the back. <laughs> yeah. So uh Lightboats is one of the ultimate voting games. Now there's a couple others that are interesting. Uh, Mall of Horror, I think it is where uh, basically, it's the same sort of thing, except for you're trying to survive the uh, zombie apocalypse. And it's you're voting, basically, who gets tossed to the zombies, which is always exciting. Uh, but two that are very appropriate for a variety of age groups, or at least a variety of... Probably these are more teen-centric, but, uh, you know, it's uh, not necessarily requiring old kids or older people to play. There's one called Quo Vadis, which basically, you've got your... It's, it's representing the Roman times, and you're trying to move your pieces up to the final box. And to move from one box to another, you have to take a vote. And depending on how many people are there, you know, you get the majority or whatever it is, then you can move up to the next one. So it's like, hey, if you vote me here, then I will vote you up next time, or I'll vote one of your guys up in another box. And so it is sort of Lifeboats-like, but it's a much faster game than Lifeboats. And... In Lifeboats, there are several different mechanisms at work, so this is a lot simpler. And at the end, you sort of get points for spots you've gone past, or if you make it to the final box at the very end. And it, it's a very, very interesting game. It was made by Settlers. Um, it was made by Mayfair Games, and I don't know if it's still in print. So I probably spent too much time talking about it. Uh, and the other one is Demo Crazy, which is a game. It is all about voting. Basically, there's a bunch of laws, and everybody has tokens that represent their interests, and all they are is just different colors. And you're passing rules that might say the person with the beard gets extra tokens, or the person, if you don't have a, you know, all the women get, um, you know, some kind of penalty or some kind of bonus, you know, or these tokens are not worth any amount of money or any, any amount of points at the end. So hundreds of cards all combined to make a widely variety varying sort of thing. And then there's some rules which will appear over time on the board and some will disappear and some things are instantaneous and everybody is voting all the time. And a knowledge of the English language is fairly important because you've had people debate over the interpretation of some of the cards in some of the previous ones. Uh, Frank, I'm talking to you. Uh, and it's uh, pretty obvious that if somebody can get one interpretation of a rule and somebody has a different interpretation of the rule, that that the game can do wildly different things. But 
if you have a real strong grasp of punctuation and maybe you haven't been working all day and you're not just wiped out, then it is pretty easy to understand. Yeah, I've, I've seen Demo Crazy. We actually have a copy of it at school, but I um, haven't played it, to be honest. Yeah, look, I think... You know, those sort of games that, that include such a, a system are a really neat way for, um, you know, or a really neat way to structure social interaction. Um, and I think, you know, just getting back to the core of it, some of the, the most important, you know, reasons for um, playing these sort of games is the way in which they throw um, kids together who wouldn't necessarily go out in the playground and play a game together. Um, but who throw them together, throw different personalities together, and it's all about that connecting with other people, the communication, both verbal and non-verbal communication, uh, really important, you know, the body language, as well as what it is that's being said. It's also the understanding that you need to be able to speak clearly and, and have yourself heard, that you need to be able to be understood, um, All of and that, that people should have turns and, and be respected as a part of the group and and so on and so forth. It's all of those skills that are really important. Oh, uh, you were talking about nonverbal communication, and that brings up sort of one other classification of game that I really I really want to talk about before we go. And this this is sort of the hidden trader game or the hidden uh, role game, and it's you know exemplified by Werewolf, which is a mass party game. Yeah. And you can change the theme on it and make it a little less deadly or scary. Where, you know, there's a group of people there. Some of them are werewolves. And you mock turns where it's everybody goes to sleep. And then the werewolves, who nobody knows who they are, are going to pick a couple of the villagers to die. Or one villager to die. And the villager wakes up. And then they try and figure out who the werewolf is. And and chase him out of town or hang him up or whatever it is that you're, that you're using in your game. Mm. And so that's it. That's pretty much the whole game. There's sometimes there's the ability for a person to check and see is this person a werewolf or that person a werewolf. But the whole premise is you're trying to look around the room or talk and figure out who the werewolves are. And you can lie during this game. And so if you're trying to encourage honesty, maybe it's not the best game to play. But it has a lot of social interaction and it's storytelling. It's like, oh, I heard him moving around last night. Obviously, he was the werewolf or whatever it is that that they're doing. And two other games in this type of category, there's Bang, which is an old West version, and it has a lot more text and is certainly going to be for a more literate group, an older group, instead of uh, Werewolf you could play with a little bit younger. And uh, The Resistance, which is sort of, uh, you know, there's a bunch of people who are going on missions, and some of them are spies who are trying to keep the missions from happening. And so by the end of the game... The winner is if the people who are trying to complete the mission can figure out who the spies are, then they win, pretty much. I mean, that's not exactly how it happens, but uh, if you can't figure out who the spies are, you're going to lose. Yeah, that sounds really good. There's another one that um, I don't mind called uh, Shadow Hunters. That's a similar premise. There, are, what I like about that is there are three sets of teams. You've got the, the the shadows or the evil ones, the hunters who are hunting them down, and then you've got the civilians who are sort of caught in the middle. And each of the three has their set of goals. You know, the hunters are trying to knock off the evil guys. The evil guys are trying to knock off the hunters. And the civilians each each 
civilian has got their own um, hidden agenda. It's not really a game that I'd take into the classroom, but it's a great, great social game if you're after anything like that. Um, out of those, Don, I've used Werewolf. Right, and how'd that go with you? Yeah, really good, yeah. It's, it's an absolutely raucous experience, Um and can easily get out of control, <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. Now, kids love this game. However, they're going to cheat when they're supposed to have their heads down. Yes. There's going to be some of the kids who are up looking around or trying to sneak looks to see who the werewolves are, and then you're going to have the kids who are the werewolves, and as soon as they get the werewolf card, they look at and they look at it, and they start smiling, and they look around, and then the person who's picking on them earlier that day dies right away. Uh, you know, is the person that they go after, yep. and it's pretty obvious. So you got to be ready for that. And I ran into yeah. the library, and I probably would have been much better, except for my son was there, and he was playing, and he was the biggest cheater in the group. And so we haven't taken it back to the library for a while. Yeah, it is. It's one, of, and this is the thing. I, you know, ultimately, this sort of game, uh, you know, any game is is susceptible to people who are going to manipulate the system or break the rules or whatever else. And, you know, this can be a really important teaching point where, you know, particularly I'm thinking in my class with the, with the age group I've got, where it's really important to understand that the game only works when we all play it properly together uh, and that there are rules for a reason, you know, and respecting the rules and playing by the rules is making sure that all of the other players have an equal chance in, in, in vying for, you know, that right. the, the, the victory or whatever else. And it's about the experience of the group, you know, and, and that's an important lesson. I think. I think we could probably do a whole episode on cheating and on on that kind of thing. Uh, mm. So for the kind of games that we were just talking about, I would say that another game that you could get would be Bacchus's Banquet from Mayfair Games. And in that, everybody's got a hidden role. Some of them are on the team of, I think, the Roman Emperor. I think it's Caligula. And you're passing cards around. Say, oh, I've got this gift, these, these cards that I've taken. You might know that one of them is a dagger, one of them's poison, and one of them is is a tasty feast. And I'm going to keep one for myself, and I'm going to put one in the trash, and I'm going to pass the other one around to the other players. And you can just take it or pass it on and figure out what's going on. And the, based on how people pass and what they pick and what they pass, you can figure out, oh, I'm the emperor. This guy's not on my side. And... You know, so it works very well as more of a controlled version of that kind of social experiment than yep. something like Werewolf, which is really very freeform and pretty wild. Yeah. And if you're looking for non, if you're looking for nonverbal communications of someone lying or not lying to you, there's a game called Cockalock uh, and Poker. I think it's it's Cockroach Poker, where it's I say I'm passing a card to you and I tell you what it is and you can choose to believe me or not believe me and keep it or pass it on to somebody else. And, and it works very much that same way where you're trying to read the other players. And it, unfortunately it's never come over to America. It never been translated. And I really wish it would. Yep. Um, so I guess, you know, just looking at the time now, Don, we've been talking for a good long time. I've probably been talking too much. Sorry. No, no, you're um, good. But is there, is there any sort of um, summarizing words or gems of uh, wisdom that you'd like to pass down at the end that summarize, I guess, what, what it is we've been talking about? Sure. I would say that the social experience is what's going to make these activities memorable and pleasurable. If you're focusing, especially with younger kids, on the math or on the harder, you know, hard cut and dried rules that 
that's not going to engage them quite as much as games that also include a social element. And you can get these social activities and interactions to pay off in a way that go well past the game. We've had, once kids have sat down to play board games with us in the library, some of the more disruptive kids have been much more uh, responsible for their actions in the library. They've kept the noise down quite a bit. You know, they've really become more custodians of the room. Whereas if they just walk up and they go and they sit down and they play a video game where instead they're just blowing stuff up all the day, they're not as engaged with the community. And sure, we do some tournaments and stuff for the video games, but you know, you're once again, you're not sitting there face to face with someone, you're sitting face to screen. And that's a completely different environment and a completely different engagement. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I think that social, the social aspect is such a fundamental um, you know, thing, and I, and I think it's it's something that board games can really bring out because you are sitting around the same table, you are looking at each other, uh, you know, you are sitting in a group, and I think it is um, a really important experience um, that teachers can use in their classrooms to talk about fairness, to talk about um, the way teams and groups can operate. I think. You know, and beyond that, it's also aside from all of that social learning, which is such an important, such an important thing for kids to have experience with. Aside from all of that, it's just a lot of fun, <laughs> really. Right, right. And games are about fun. So I'm going to say, stay social with your games, and come back and listen to us again. Absolutely. Um, and if, as Don said earlier, if you've got any um, questions or if you've got any other games that uh, you think that we haven't covered or that we've uh, not covered enough detail, or if there's anything that we've left out, or you don't agree with us, or you do agree with us, uh, we love any feedback at all. So please feel free to contact us at uh, schoolsandlibraries at gmail.com or head over to the Games for Educators website and the forums over there and uh, let us know what you think. I'm Donald Dennis. And I'm Giles Pritchard. Until next time, this is Games in Schools and Libraries. Games in Schools and Libraries is kindly hosted by the Games for Educators website. You can find them at www.g4ed.com. You can subscribe to their newsletter, check out games through their game finder, and of course, it's the home of the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. Drop by and post comments on the episodes. We love feedback. Games in Schools and Libraries is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. For a copy of this license, visit our webpage at the Games for Educators website.